The Penn State Nittany Lions are the national champions. Penn State 59, Maryland nothing. Welcome back to Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State podcast. I am Matt Brown, editor for the Athletic College Football, and I am joined by Nittany Lions writer Audrey Snyder. Audrey, how did you enjoy Friday night's blowout and then an extra day off, too, afterward? You know, Matt, it didn't feel like an extra day off. Um, I, I don't, like, last week I didn't know what day it was. I'm still trying to figure out what day it is, so... That's what a 59 to nothing Penn State route does to a person. It just really makes you lose all sense of time. You know, we've been, Penn State has not lost this season, but we've had a couple podcasts where they felt a little bit more negative, maybe too negative, but a little bit negative just because there's there were a lot of questions raised, and I think bit, fans yeah. certainly felt it as well. You know, the, the first half of the Buffalo game was a struggle. They ended up covering the spread in that game, but still there were some clear weaknesses that showed themselves again the next week against Pitt. And Penn State only won 17-10, barely escaped. And now, after the off week, that is everything you want to see after an off week, especially when there were questions. So what do you think was the biggest, biggest of the many positives to take away? What was the biggest takeaway from Penn State just running Maryland out of its own stadium 59 nothing. Well, I think Penn State needs two weeks to prepare for every game. No. Well, it would help. <laughs> I mean, it, it certainly, I do think there were shades of that in terms of preparation. That's something a lot of the players talked about. But, you know, Matt, I am going to go with the offense, and it's kind of what I based my story around Friday night. For as inconsistent as this offense had been during non-conference play, no doubt about it, there were times it was not great. Um, we talked a lot about the third down numbers, just the shot plays that they kept taking and not connecting on, the running back rotation. I thought Penn State took a huge step forward with this offense uh, against Maryland. And, you know, one of the, the biggest numbers that they always harp on, one that we harp on, uh, Penn State converted 9 of 13 third downs. Another number that jumped off the page to me, Penn State's offense ran 81 plays. I mean, After running 11 plays in the first quarter. Yes, I mean, that's <laughs> remarkable. And 81 is actually not the highest that they ran this season. They had 82 against Idaho. But I went back and looked at the numbers from last year, and I mentioned this in the Upon Further Review piece that's up on The Athletic this morning. Penn State did not run 80 plays at all last year, and so they've already eclipsed that twice, uh, which is a good little little boost there, I suppose. But, yeah, 619 yards of total offense. Sean Clifford was masterful, uh, with the exception being one interception that was really bad. But that's, again, super, super nitpicky. Um, first interception of the year, four games into it in his first year starting. I think they'll take that, especially when yeah. the score was, what, like 28 to nothing by that point? Yeah, the game was pretty much over. Um, I really liked, Matt, what Penn State did with their running back rotation, and we can get into that a little bit more. But I thought they were creative with it. They were smart with it. Three running backs had been on the field by the end of the first quarter. All four backs, uh, you know, had gotten reps by halftime. So they really got people involved. And you know what, Matt? For all of the heat that Ricky Ronnie has taken the last season plus, uh, really give the guy some credit for this because I thought this was one of the best games he's called uh, since being yes. the offensive coordinator. I mean, I'll put the, the Fiesta Bowl up there as well with it. Um, but, I mean, they had much more talent than two. So I just thought he really did some creative things. And, and again, it, part of that was they had more time to prepare. But for all the times we've gotten asked, you know, who's getting fired? Should somebody be fired? And I kept saying, more time, more time, more time. 
Uh, Penn State did not give up a sack. So let's hear it for the offensive line that also yep. takes a lot of heat. So all in all, I thought huge day for the offense, which is really saying something when the defense pitched its first shutout since 2017. So, you know, you bring up the third downs, which I think, you know, everybody looks at those third down numbers that mm-hmm. they've struggled with, and it's, well, they, they're bad on third down. But really, it's they were bad on first down. Yeah. They just put themselves in bad situations. So how about this game? According to Sports Info Solutions, which Our good friends we, we partner Sports with, Info and Solutions. they, yeah, they break down the film and have all these advanced numbers. Clifford was 11 of 13 for 141 yards on first down. So wow. Penn State was... 9 of 14 on third down, but it helps when your quarterback is 11 of 13 for 141 yards on first down. So Penn State put itself in favorable positions, and, you know, they did so. Clifford wasn't even, you know, the, the problem against Pitt was they were, he was 0 of 8 throwing 20 yards downfield. You know, this game, he was only, I believe, 1 of 4 when throwing 15-plus yards downfield. It was the Chisina, the 40-yard the pass. Mm-hmm. But they just made, a lot, you yeah, know, they yards. made smart <laughs> throws. They got the, they got the running backs in the in, involved in the passing game they had these quicker throws they had just kind of did everything the slant to kj hamler obviously which was on a third and long and and he made a big play so it was just like they did everything literally everything better <laughs> i mean yeah. it's not an exaggeration i mean i thought man too you look at it and penn state puts so much emphasis on this which is why we do too and why i keep track of it but the explosive plays uh, four, 14 of Penn State's 81 plays were chunk gains, which is 17%. The goal is 16% or more. Um, and really, those numbers are skewed because you look at when the reserves came in, Will Levis came in midway through the third quarter, um, ha- does, definitely struggled, held onto the ball a little bit too long in some instances. So, I mean, that impacts those numbers a lot. But you look at the first-team offense and what they did, and I was – I was really impressed with, I mean, one, the K.J. Hamler play was ridiculous. I mean, that is my front runner for Penn State's best play so far this season. Uh, I mean, you just look at what the guy does, and, I mean, he, he made that defense look really bad. Um, but, again, they felt good about that matchup. Going into it, they wanted to get him involved. We talked so much, Matt. We heard so much about it last week about they got to get him involved early and often, and, you know, they came out and did that, and he capitalized on it. And I will say, before the game, um, we had field access, and the media could be down there watching warm-ups, which we don't get for home games, so I like to take advantage of that on the road when we can. And I happened to see and tweeted it out, K.J. Hamler during warm-ups, the Maryland student section, which I will give them credit, Matt, because pregame, that place was loud. Uh, the students were into it. I mean, it dissipated really quickly into the game. Yes, it did. But pre- pre-game, <laughs> it was a good little tune-up for this Penn State team before they go on the road to Iowa next week in that regard. But Hamler takes his helmet off, looks over at the crowd, and, man, these students are just letting them have it, right? And he's just smiling. And I kind of put that in the back of my head and thought, you know, this guy he thrives, thrives on this stuff. Oh, absolutely. He loves, he it. loves it. And, like... Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. I mean, he, I asked him a couple weeks ago after a game, he was saying about the attention and being a leader. And I said to him, I was like, oh, KJ, like, do you like that? And I thought I knew what the answer was going to be. And of course he's like, yeah, I love when the camera's on me. I, you know, I like, he thrives on that. So he comes out, quiets the crowd, blows them a kiss after that touchdown. Uh, I mean, that's, that's exactly what you wanted to see on like, Okay, so that one yeah. was actually a third and nine. Mm-hmm. But what do you? What should you do? Get the ball to your best player, who's and and 
take advantage of his best skill. They got yes. it to him on a slant on the run and on the move, and we can see what he does after the catch. It's not just taking deep shots to him. Yes. You can throw a, an eight or nine yard pass to him, and he's going to make people look silly because he has that speed. And even though he's small, bounced off a tackler, it was just a ridiculous play. Yeah, Jahan Dawson with a great block down there as well. KJ directing a little bit of traffic during that too. Um, and one of the things that came out of the post game, you know, we're asking him about how did you guys take this step forward as an offense? What do you attribute that to? And I think, Matt, it goes back, and this was such a big storyline in the offseason about the receiving, the receivers and the drops and changing coaches. And these guys really, really like Jared Parker. And I'm not trying to say that they didn't like David Quarterly because I never got that sense. But it's just a whole different vibe. It's confidence. It's positivity. Uh, Parker had the receivers over to his house during the bye week to watch film with them, which I said to KJ, I was like, have you guys ever done that before? Like, I know they'll go over and eat dinner with the coaches and their families, that sort of deal. Um, And he said, no, we've never gone over to our position coach's house to watch film, but we were just there hanging out, cracking jokes. Like, they genuinely like being around each other, which I think certainly matters for something. Um, But yeah, you, you look at what they were able to do, and Matt, I'll still add to this, they didn't really get Pat Fryermuth going. I mean, big night for Nick Bowers, but you have all these weapons, and I just think, okay, what can this offense look like if ever you can get everybody going at the same time? Because I believe Fryermuth had like two catches for, I want to say off the top of my head, 22 yards. So um, still, still more to build on, more to show. But Nick Bowers had 70 yards. Journey Brown had 41. It was just like mm-hmm. – they get how many? Let's see how many guys had her catch in this game. Like twelve. Um, it was just kind of thirteen, maybe. Let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, thirteen. Thirteen, and we play our fun game too of who's going to lead the team in rushing, and we were just completely wrong again, of course. But also everybody Shocker. got involved. Number one, Sean Clifford. Number two, Devin Ford. Number three, Will Levis. The quarterback, the guy who was the fourth running back onto the field, and the backup quarterback were the top three in rushing. But. but did we have Everybody a got first, caught passes. Did we have a first touchdown bet on this game, Matt? Or first running we back touchdown? No. We did not. Okay, because I, I thought I, I said something good about Ricky Slade, but never mind. You did. You said he'd lead the team in rushing. I don't, but maybe that I was wrong. That the first touchdown. C- capitalize Clifford on scored that. the first touchdown on the ground still. So even nothing is actually predictable with it. <laughs> and Matt, fun fact that I unearthed yesterday while rewatching that beautiful, masterful game. Uh, Sean Clifford is the only player on Penn State's roster who has a rush of at least 12 yards uh, during every game this season. So there you have it. I, I was rewatching the game this morning, and former Maryland coach Ralph Region was in the booth mm-hmm. uh, for, for a couple of series. And he also, of course, made sure to say that he is faster than he appears. You know, because that's all what that... everybody's going to say about Sean Clifford, and it's never going to stop for probably the three years. And that came with Trace McSorley, who was on the sideline. Uh, he was there standing there and Sean Clifford had said that he talked with Trace the night before the game and there's a really cool really respectful relationship there a good dynamic between those two and you know Sean Clifford has said it several times that Trace is one of his best resources he said you know listen these guys this guy's played against all these teams obviously had a ton of success at Penn State uh so for them to to you know have that relationship for Trace McSorley to be there uh certainly meant a lot to the team meant a lot to Sean Clifford and you know, Sean was asked, well, you know, what did you learn from Trace? And he's like, oh, I learned a ton. He goes, well, 
I mean, I don't know if Trace necessarily learned anything from me. And then he laughed and he was like, well, maybe tonight he did. I mean, <laughs> it was just what you wanted to see Sean Clifford take a step forward, right? Going into this game and, you know, your first sp- road game, yeah. you know, coming off of a, a lackluster game against Pitt. Yeah. And this was absolutely a step forward. I mean, 26 of 31, 398 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, zero sacks, you know, 54 yards on the ground, rushing touchdown. Um, I did like, and I pointed it out in a pond further review, the one rush that he had where he's actually pointing yeah. out to Devin Ford, directing traffic, trying to get Ford to pick up a block. And I believe that was a third down too, like he yes. converted. Yeah, and you know, I've I've seen a quarterback who's done that quite a few times before, Matt. Um, and that guy plays on Sundays for the Green Bay Packers, and that's all oh, we need course. to talk about go. that. Yeah, there was no <laughs> other game that happened there last week, so but so Clifford is seventh in the country in passing efficiency, despite you know the struggles against Pitt. He's now completed sixty-six percent of his passes, one thousand one hundred seventy-nine yards, nine touchdowns, one interception, eleven point one yards per attempt. He is a spot ahead of Justin Herbert, the potential first-round pick in passing efficiency. He's ahead of Sam Ellinger, Jake Fromm, uh, and he's had f- over fifty rushing yards in three of the first four games. And so it, I, I think. Yeah, there's been some questionable moments with decision-making or whatever. The Pitt game obviously wasn't his finest game, but you have to give some credit for Pitt, to Pitt's defense mm-hmm. as well there. But I think all of the signs right now are are positive. It's easy to say after a 59-0 win, but this was a Big Ten game against a team that beat Syracuse 62-20 to a few weeks ago, and Sean Clifford looked fantastic, and it just looked like looked like everything was on the same page more this week. You know, I mentioned yeah. the, the shorter passes to running backs. It just... You know, the pit game, they did not do a good job of putting him in manageable situations against a good pass rush and an aggressive defense. They did not win those matchups. This game, they won basically every matchup. And you look at it too, Matt, and I wrote about it last week, the two back sets. And I think that's something that we're going to see Penn State continue to do because on the play to Dan Chisina, the 40-yard reception, uh, they had two backs on the play for that as well. And it just gives you some different looks. And I thought Clifford, uh, his first touchdown, the rushing touchdown, was just a great job I mean he pulls the ball reads it kind of rides off his running back and just absolutely makes the defender look silly makes the right read with the ball and gets in I mean I think we're seeing the offensive line just open a wide open hole too I mean I maybe could have run through there Matt I'm not gonna say (laughs) yes but maybe on a great day um I could have gotten two or three yards maybe um (laughs) but I mean I just think it's, it's one of these things where it was going to take him some time to get comfortable. It was going to take him some time with the RPOs to, to make that right read, and you're not always going to be correct. But when you come out and you have a performance like this, I think not only was it huge for Penn State, but it sends a little bit of a message, too, of, okay, this team isn't as bad as we thought it was a couple weeks ago, but... Matt, through all of this, we really haven't even, we haven't on this show, but we will, talked much about this defense and what they've been able <laughs> right. to do. I mean, I think just... They've given up 30 points this season. Yeah. It's, it's, it's October tomorrow. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Points. I mean, and you look at what they did in this game especially, and for the majority of it, they were without Micah Parsons, who got ejected for targeting and then tweeted in the locker room, which I loved <laughs> and found it hilarious and was so... Micah and perfect. It's very Micah Parsons, yeah. But, I mean, you look at what they did, and there wasn't a drop-off with Jesse Lucetta. There wasn't a drop-off between Jan Johnson and Ellis Brooks. I mean, 
Donovan Johnson. Yeah, Michael didn't Parsons even getting thrown out isn't isn't a positive, but mm-hmm. it created a room for positives because they were they were, they were fantastic. It was amazing. I, I the one of the numbers I I pulled up um, and let me flip through my notes and get it here, Matt, because we are all about accuracy and all those things here on Daryl. Remember, State. this team scored sixty points against Syracuse and has some speed and has some playmakers. Like Maryland doesn't, you know. They have some problems, mm-hmm. a lot of problems, obviously, but it's not like they don't have any playmakers on offense. And Penn State gave up uh, 68 passing yards with two interceptions, two huge interceptions. We should, we're talking about linebackers. Yeah, Let's shout out Jan Johnson for the read he made, the play he made on the first drive to set up Penn State's first touchdown. And then uh, Trey Castro Fields had the interception in the in the end zone that really just completely turned the tide because Maryland was looking like they could make it 14 to seven, and then Penn State went on a. 90-yard drive to go up 21-0. Uh, Maryland's leading receiver had 18 yards. They had Stunning. 60 rushing yards. I mean, just Penn State took everything away. That was my stat, Matt. That was what I found through flipping through my pages in my pink notebook. Uh, Penn State this season has only given up six rushes of 12-plus yards, and four of those came against Buffalo. So you're talking three games where this run defense has been incredible. And against Maryland, uh, McFarland. It was such an overlooked part of the Pitt game because everybody was complaining that we failed to realize that Pitt had had no zero rushes of twelve plus yards against Pitt. I mean, it's just you look at what they've been able to do, and I know people look at it, and if you just look at the box score, you say, "Oh, well, Etor Gross Matos isn't putting up these flashy numbers and this and that." But look, he really flashed in this game early. He was he was his old self. Yeah, I mean, he was certainly disruptive, and. That, to me, was another step forward because it, it's, again, how does the rest of this line play when you know this guy's going to be getting extra attention? How disruptive can he be? And, you know, Jan Johnson has taken a little bit of flack. I think people look at it, they want to get starstruck by the other linebackers, the guys who are more highly touted, all these sorts of things. But there's a reason why this guy keeps playing week after week. There's a reason why he's a starter. There's a reason why they just can't take him out of the lineup. I mean, you look at the interception he makes, which great play, big play early on, but then the pass deflection too is really big. Um, there's just so much depth on this defense, and and you're seeing it um, even in the secondary. And I, Matt, honestly, I didn't even realize this until I was working on the Upon Further Review piece on Sunday that Donovan Johnson didn't make the trip. And then I looked back at my notes and remembered that he had gotten what looked like banged up around the goal line on that deep play against Pitt. So they traveled seven corners to this game, and he was not one of them. So I'm assuming that he's probably hurt, banged up, that sort of thing. But you look at that and you say, okay, John Reed, good game. Tariq Castro-Fields, you just mentioned the pit, good game. You know, they got Keaton Ellis more run. Yeah, I mean, they've just got so Joe many Jr. guys. Yeah, Joey Porter, I mean, there's somebody who I thought it was really fun to watch toward the end of the game, watching the the starters on defense react to the twos and threes who were playing. Uh, I mean, these guys were really enjoying it. You saw these younger guys making plays. Luketta, fantastic game. Ellis Brooks, really, really great game. Uh, I just think you got, especially with the linebackers, Matt, you got to see glimpses and promising signs of the current state of this team. But also the future looks really, really, really bright in the linebacking core as well. And, you know, Penn State had four sacks in this game, and they were all credited to Ellis Brooks and Adissa Isaac. Just what so, we all predicted going in. <laughs> two and a half sacks for Brooks, one and a half for Isaac. Isaac had finished with two and a half tackles for loss. 
And so it's the depth at linebacker. We knew defensive end would be a strength. You know, I think there were some questions early near the pass rush. Didn't show up quite as expected, but we know they have talent there. And it's depth, too. When you look at a guy like Isaac who comes on and makes some plays, you know, just in a game that's a blowout, gets on the field and does a nice job, which you could say, again, about pretty much this entire defense, which now is third in the country in rushing yards per carry allowed at 1.9. They've allowed one rushing touchdown. Uh, the pass, pass defense, they are 18th in pass efficiency defense. They've only given up two passing touchdowns. So they are – and another stat I dug up here, only two teams in the country are in the top 10 in yards per play on offense and defense, Penn State and wow. Ohio State, who I happen to vote number one in my AP poll. Ballot <laughs> Good week. company to be in. So, you know <laughs> – that's remarkable. Yeah. What, what else can you say here? I mean, look, again, no, the competition hasn't been the – they haven't played, you know, an Ohio State or Wisconsin yet. Right. But – and Pitt did just barely barely beat Delaware, which was very much expected after the UCF <laughs> game, I think. Of but Pitt did beat UCF, and, you know, Maryland, again, beat Syracuse by over 40 points. So it's not like they haven't overcome any challenges here. You know, these aren't the best teams on their schedule, but – the level of competition is better than Idaho. Oh, <laughs> so, and you got to play who's on your schedule. I mean, we exactly. can and debate the merits. Exactly, and 59 to nothing is 59 to nothing. Yeah, a blowout's so, a blowout. I mean, this... In the Big Ten on the road. Yeah, with a young team. I mean, and Matt, I mean, of the 74 people on the travel roster, because we also got a first look at that, uh, 12 of them were true freshmen. And of those 12, eight of them played. So we didn't see Lance Dixon this week. Um, we didn't see Brenton Strange this week. We didn't see Caden Wallace this week. Um, and who else? Off the top, of my, oh Michael Johnson Jr., who was was there as like the number three quarterback. Obviously, didn't play. Um, so they're still trying to figure out, I guess, what they want to do with some of these younger guys. But as we mentioned last week, they wanted to get Brandon Smith more involved. They thought he deserved more reps. We saw him on the field in the second quarter early. Um, so they're finding ways, despite blowing teams out, to still get these younger guys' experience, which is super, super valuable. Um, and, I mean, I think that that's what helps you lay the foundation. And, I mean, we'll get more into this Thursday for sure, Matt, but you got a banged-up Purdue team coming into town, yep. and then everything really gears up for Iowa. And how did you respond on the road? Well, you can point back to this game and say, you know what, you went into a pregame at least hostile road environment um and you answered and you dealt with the crowd noise and you were you were able to see what it feels like when you silence a crowd and the penn state crowd met we're not surprised by this because we know they travel well but by the end of that game i mean a lot of blue and white stayed (laughs) behind the bleachers i mean when you stay and sing your alma mater in the corner of an end zone on the road that takes some gumption i mean that's when you know it's, it's a pretty been a good really night. good day yeah <laughs> i mean and for more context here now again syracuse is not what it was last year but syracuse was 10 and 3 last year and in week two maryland had 650 yards of offense 296 passing 354 rushing 63 points and then again those numbers that i said earlier penn against penn state maryland had uh 128 yards of offense 10 first downs Penn State had 20 more first downs in this game than Maryland. Maryland had 60 rushing yards, 68 passing yards, zero points. And I guess we can use this to lead into the next part, which is Penn State's just utter dominance of Maryland. (laughs) And 
it's always been like if you look up, uh, you know, there is actually a rivalry page for the for Penn State Maryland it, on Matt? Wikipedia. Is this what you've been not. doing all weekend? But there is a Wikipedia page for this rivalry, and if you look at it, it is a lot of blue. Penn State now leads the all-time <laughs> series 42, 40 to two and one tie. Maryland won in nineteen sixty-one. They won in two thousand fourteen. Since then, Penn State had that tight win in in Baltimore, and then. Kind of an underrated game in 2016 where we think about the Minnesota the game as a turning game? point. No. And, but Penn State was an underdog, I believe, at home against Maryland that year. Okay. And then won very comfortably 38-14. to 14. And then the last three years, 66-3, to 38-3, to 59-0. To Zero touchdowns for Maryland. Competitive. And my favorite stat from this game is that Penn State's last three trips to College Park, this was the yeah. smallest margin of victory. Because in, in 2015, they played in Baltimore. So before 2015, when they played in Baltimore, the, the previous meeting in the College Park was 70-7 to 7 in 1993. And I mentioned 20 to 7, 2017, it was 66-3. to 3, And then just unforgivable to win by only the score of 59 to nothing. Brutal. What, what do I recall? I believe the point spread was 6.5. Yeah, uh, nobody Vegas was just coming. a tad bit off for this one. <laughs> I mean, I just, for whatever reason, Matt, and I think – you know, you look at it, some teams just don't match up well. They don't play well. We've seen that recently with Penn State and Michigan State. But, yeah, Penn State and Maryland, I mean, to me. Maryland should have almost or came like a play away from beating Ohio State last year, by the it way. Just, it makes no sense. And I just wonder if, and I mentioned this a little bit last week, I know this game means a lot to the Penn State kids from the DMV on this roster, and there are a lot of them. But there was clearly a talent gap there, a divide um, that was pretty noticeable, I thought, looking across the field. And that comes down to recruiting. And you look at Mike Loxley and his staff. These are guys who were hired in part because of their connections to these high school programs You know, in that region. They need to make more, better inroads there. But that's difficult to do when you're getting blown out by Penn State. And I know people will hear this and they'll read what I wrote in upon further review and say, yeah, Penn State should recruit better than Maryland. And they do. It's not like you're competing head to head on every single kid. But if you're Penn State and you can consistently, which they've done, go in there and pluck some of the best players. And I know you'll say, oh, well, what if they didn't get this guy? They didn't get that guy. I get it. But you, if you can get some of those top five players consistently out of that area, that's huge, and that's going to continue to keep Maryland in that spot that it's in right now. And and why did Maryland hire Mike Loxley? Like, you look at his his record as a head coach. He went to New Mexico, which was a terrible fit. And at New Mexico, he had a record of 2-26. and 26. As interim coach of Maryland in 2015, he was 1-5. But he was the offensive coordinator at Alabama last year. Obviously did a fantastic job with with the talent that they had, which is the best talent in the country, but yeah. still did a fantastic job. But Mike Loxley is a fantastic recruiter who knows that area, and that's why they hired him. He's he's as good a recruiter as there is in the in the D.C. area. And he got some guys even for Alabama from there. Uh, so for the first game of the Loxley era to lose 59 to nothing to Penn State on your home field, that matters. It's Again, it's not like Maryland is a huge – it's like a slouch recruiting. You know, yeah. you look at the last four years. I mean, look at Nick uh, Cross, Maryland, who picked off uh, Sean Clifford. I mean, this yeah. was a guy who Penn State really wanted, who came down to the wire for, and he goes to Maryland. Uh, you know, the last four years, average recruiting class in the Big Ten, Maryland is sixth, 32nd overall, if you would just average the last four classes uh, together. In Big Ten would be Ohio State is third, Michigan 10th, Penn State 15th, Nebraska 22nd, Michigan State 28th, Maryland 32nd. So, yeah, that's not, you know, unbelievable recruiting, 
But Maryland had the number 18 class in 2017, number 28 class in 2018. And over the last four years, on average, the recruiting classes rank better than Wisconsin and Iowa, which yeah. are, you know, consistently good programs. Consistently so, better, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Maryland is not an elite recruiter, but they hired an elite recruiter and they recruit better than you might think, you know, compared to what they've played like. So, and, you know, 24-7 also has this t- talent composite tool, mm-hmm. which, you which know, ranks great. the current roster based on the, the recruiting rankings. And Maryland's talent composite right now is 27th. So, again, it's not like there's no talent on this roster. I, you know, I said they have playmakers. They have some speed. And that speed and those playmakers were completely, utterly neutralized by Penn State, which has, again, maybe its fastest defense. I think. One fastest, of its fastest yeah. defenses ever. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's built differently than years past. It's just faster. There's more speed. And we know there's speed on offense. There's depth on offense. So, you know, look, Penn State, Ohio State, you know, Penn, Penn State is trying to recruit like Ohio State, not, you know, not beat Maryland. Maryland on the recruiting trail. But this matters. You know, especially because, you know, the state of Pennsylvania has gone downhill in recent years. Oh, yeah. And the DMV is so, so, so important. You look at, you know, it's it's Maryland, it's D.C., it's Virginia, uh, has been it's so Penn big State's for roster. Penn State. <laughs> I mean, it's exactly. Yeah. You know, Tr- Trace McSorley and Ricky Slade. It's you know, you know Trey Fields and it's PJ Mustafer. Cam Brown, all these guys. Shane but even you know, Maryland's been so big for the last fifteen years. You know, the Paterno era. Derek Williams you know, kind of got found new life in the mid two thousands because of what you know Larry Johnson did as a recruiter too in the, in that area. And it was Derek Williams was the big turning point. But it was guys like Aaron Mabin, um, you know, Navarra Bowman. It's just a kind of a long list, and it's just you know it's even more important now just because the the talent level in Pennsylvania has gone downhill, and it's you know it was a relatively weak class last year. It's going to be a weak class again, and no, they're not hitting on everybody. Clemson and Alabama are going to come in. Ohio State's going to come in. Michigan's going to come in, but you know it, it was it was still a big game for recruiting, undoubtedly for Penn State. If you win fifty nine to nothing in your one game in that area against a guy who was hired because of his recruiting prowess. Statement. Pretty good weekend. Oh, yeah. And I'll, I'll tease it too, Matt, since I wrote about it in a pond for the review. But I went to uh, Curtis Jacobs' school on Thursday and caught up with him after practice. And, you know, you talk about the recruiting ramifications, but this Penn State 2020 class is really interesting in that a lot of fans have kind of been on edge because of the people that they've lost in this class. You know, and they say, oh, well, you lose a commitment to Derek Wingo. Well, it never really made sense for a Florida kid to come here anyway, but whatever. Um, but talking with Jacobs, who, by the way, is still 100% committed to Penn State, uh, I thought it was really telling when he was, I was asking him, like, okay, how are you developing? Because this is a guy who was, you know, super athletic, but really is just starting to kind of now settle into the linebacker position. And he's been watching a lot of film on Cam Brown, and that's how Penn State envisions him. Super good athlete, um, but they want to, they want him to be that guy who can handle space, all those sorts of things. And he's trying to get more aggressive, um, trying to get bigger. But right now, I mean, it, it's going pretty well. But I had to laugh because I'm walking around his school, the McDonough School. I'd never been there before, but this amazingly beautiful campus, uh, great athletic facilities. And on the wall, because I'm just walking around looking lost like usual, on the wall they have a listing of all of the team captains for the football program. And I just happened to look up at it. And, you know, you got P.J. Mustafer on there, who, of course, you know, went to McDonough. You look at Devon Ellis, who was a captain last year. Jacobs is one of the captains this year. And so you've got this good pipeline going. And 
I just, I don't see anything changing with Jacobs recruitment and he's, you know, I mean, of course there's interest and Maryland is coming at him pretty hard and will continue to, and is toying with the idea of trying to lure him in by saying, Hey, you can maybe play tight end here too as well, which I don't know. I would kind of compare that to Penn state, you know, telling Michael Parsons, you can play running back. Um, sounds good. <laughs> Will it ever happen? Probably not, but you know, it's recruiting a lot of crazy things happen. So you look at that, but then you look at a guy like Dante Thornton Jr. in the 2021 class, the receiver who verbally committed to Penn State too early and then backed off that commitment, but is still very much interested in Penn State. These guys pay attention to this game. I mean, Jacobs was trying to get to the game Friday night after his own high school game. Um, I don't believe he ended up making it because at that point, especially the game was already out of hand. So why would you want to go and see that? Um, but... It matters in recruiting as much as we saw it and we continue to see it with Penn State, Ohio State. And you look at a Julian Fleming, who that game last year mattered to him with his recruitment. This game matters to a lot of these guys in the DMV. And so Penn State certainly helped themselves there, too. Well, so Penn State is now so we'll see how it plays out on the recruit trail. But on the field, I have them 11th on my AP poll belt. They are 12th, and the computers like Penn State better than the humans. Penn State is eighth <laughs> in ESPN's FPI. There we go, eighth in ESPN's FPI, seventh in ESPN's SP plus, fourth in Jeff Sagarin's ratings, and seventh in the Massey Composite, which is a composite rating of a bunch of computer rankings. So, you know, increased optimism, not surprisingly, given what just happened, but. Uh, I think everybody should be feeling a lot better about, you know, we, we, during the off week, we kind of reset the season. I think our expectations um, were pretty similar to the preseason, although maybe some more questions. I don't think this game necessarily changes that, you know, it's still Maryland. There's still a lot to prove, but, you know, I do think, and I do think, and I think Ohio state is just clearly the team to beat in the big 10, but they they certainly looked at Saturday night. (laughs) Yeah. We, we, yeah. And we want, but we want to, you know, Penn State to show improvement over the off week at the end of September, be better at the end of September than you are at the beginning of or at the end of August. And for now, they answered the questions, you know, so hats off to Clifford, hats off to Ricky Ronnie, you know, hats defense. off to the running game, just everything, you know, and, and the defense is living up to the potential we thought it had. So I, you know, I, I think right now, obviously Penn State should be at its most optimistic point you know, of this season so far. And, you know, you got to think it's still, there's some sleeper uh, Big Ten title potential here. And we know, Matt, Penn State's going to continue with their 1-0 and mantra and everything this week is going to be about Purdue, 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 homecoming, all that. Um, but I'm curious to see what's happening behind the scenes this week. And we'll actually get a chance to see that with HBO being in town. Yes. Uh, I'm very curious to see how Penn State handles that because – I would like to know just how much access do they get? Will they be involved at all in the editing process? Um, you know, I think this has the potential to be a really cool inside look at the program when this airs, um, which I believe the air date is slated for October 9th at 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. on HBO. So I'm curious to see what happens with that. But yeah, you couldn't have asked for a better showing from Penn State. Now, the one thing I will be keeping an eye on this week the injury front, I mean, Justin Shorter exited the game after taking a shot to the head, head and neck area. So I did not see him on the sidelines after that. So talking to some players afterward, they said that, you know, they did talk to him and he was at least okay. But whether that's okay enough to play or not, who knows? Tariq Castro-Fields also got banged up 
a little bit, but he did interviews afterwards, so which leads me to believe he's probably fine. Um, no, I didn't get yeah. a chance to talk to him afterward and ask him if he was okay, but the fact that he was made available um, leads me to believe that he is. So that's kind of the, the little bit of the stuff I'll be keeping an eye on this week, Matt. But other than we'll that, also be keeping an eye on Purdue's injury situation as well. Yeah. Rondell Moore went out, which is the the really big you know, one of the best players in the country. Mm-hmm. So Purdue not exactly coming in as strong as you know they thought they might be, but we'll get to that more on Thursday. Purdue limps in here, but speaking of as strong as they can be, um, this is our friendly reminder that Dear Old State is on Mondays open to everybody. We appreciate you listening and we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe for the show. And, and subscribe to The Athletic. Of course. Subscribe to The Athletic. We're doing all kinds of fun and neat stuff. Um, I thought last week was a good example, Matt, of some of the different kinds of stories we can unearth and how I turned in about 2,000 words on a turkey burger, although it was much more than that, and our readers uh, really seem to enjoy that kind of behind-the-scenes look that tied in recruiting and James Franklin and fun and all those sorts of things. So I thought last week was a good week for us, Matt, but same story here for us as it is for the Nittany Lions. We're just trying to go one to know every week. And there you have it. Penn's, we'll be back on Thursday for our athletic subscribers only podcast previewing Penn State versus Purdue. Uh, if you don't subscribe to Athletic, please do. You'll read Audrey's wonderful writing. She has you know, her game story up from the Maryland game as well as her deep dive into everything you need to know from the game and upon further review, which was up Monday morning. Please subscribe and then... Join us again Thursday. Thanks for listening to Dear Old State on The Athletic. Dear Old State.